Hello, hello. It is the first Sunday after Easter 2023 on the calendar that's April 16th. And we are here at St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, the, the first congregation organized in Skokie, which originally was called Niles Center. Uh, this congregation goes back to 1867. Uh, most of us, however, don't go that far back. Anyway, a welcome to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. I am the Redheaded Preacher of St. Peter's. <clears throat> My name is Richard Lanford. And this morning, we have for you three scriptures. Uh, they are from Psalm 16, 1 Peter chapter 1, and uh, resurrection stories uh, from John 20. I'll be preaching primarily out of 1 Peter. So maybe that means you want to listen especially closely to that. I, I don't know what that means, except just to let you know where I was uh, the, the main inspiration for the message today. Um, I hope you enjoy this, um, and it is full length, so it's not. Uh, gonna, it's going to be a little longer than the last couple messages. Just so you know, there's just so there's more to enjoy. At least I hope that's uh, that's your experience. Um, let me uh, continue to lead into our scriptures and the message with a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Spirit of God, move afresh on us. Spirit of God, move afresh on us. Spirit of God, move afresh on us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Our first reading is Psalm 16, a song of trust and security in God, attributed to David. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful one see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This sends the reading from the Psalter. The next reading is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Peter writes to encourage Christians who are suffering for their faith and reminds them that they belong to a new commonwealth, which is God's household. Here, after the opening greeting, 
is the beginning of the letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, You believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy, for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This ends the reading of 1 Peter. Our worship continues with an anthem. Today, the first Sunday after Easter, we hear the passage that is often suggested for the first Sunday after we celebrate the resurrection a passage that takes place first on Easter evening and then a week later. It is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, He showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. 
Here ends the reading of the Gospel lesson and the Scriptures for today's service. Thanks be to God for this, God's Holy Word. We do not hear very much about it anymore, but there was a time when the nuclear arms race dominated contemplations about the future and the world we would soon or could soon be living in. I'm not talking about the 1960s either, though I could be, but the 1980s. Back then, I remember reading a letter from someone in an issue of Sojourners magazine, and this letter writer said that he and his wife had decided not to have children because they were too afraid about the world their child or children would be born into. I remember thinking that was a little extreme, but somewhat understandable in those days. Since then, every once in a while, I'll overhear talk in a similar vein. Do you really want to bring a child into this world? I'm not saying I endorse the question. Yet with climate change, escalating gun violence where the number one cause of death of children and teens in the U.S. is guns, with the ongoing threats to the great American experiment of our democratic republic and the continuing increase in the global wealth and income gap. A year ago, the World Economic Forum's Patrick Henry wrote that the richest 10% of the world's population now owns 76% of all wealth. One could see why the question could come up. Having said all this, what I really get out of that question for now is the phrasing. Into what kind of world, or reality, or place, or whatever, are our babies being born? Into what kind of country, or family, or what faith, or what privileges, or hardships, or love our young folks are born into? You may have heard the phrase, to the manor born, for instance. Well, too many are born into poverty and die from malnutrition. So let me give you another perspective along those lines. You'll remember Jesus and Nicodemus in John 3 talking about being born from above, born anew, and born of the water and of the Spirit. And today we heard Barb read about a birth into, and it is not being born into a country or a race or an economic class or a world fearing nuclear war. This perspective of which I speak is grounded in those words in John, but also more explicitly from Peter. Would you like to hear it again? Speaking of God, Peter wrote, By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There it is. There it is. Let's not think today about what world we bring a baby into. Let's think about our own new birth and hopefully eventually their new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As a baby emerges from her mother's womb and comes into the hands of the OBGYN, nurse, spouse, partner, or taxi driver, and that world, 
So God's mercy gives us a new birth into a living hope. The hands of God's living hope take us, hold us, and cradle us. By God's grace and the movement of the Spirit, regardless of our age, we are born not into something created by us humans, not into something or place defined by circumstance or history, but into a hope. A hope that is alive and moving, surviving and rejoicing. It's a spiritual reality, but you and I know that spiritual realities are lived out here on earth. Whenever and wherever you act in hope, that spiritual reality, that new birth you were given into God's living hope is on display. It's bearing witness. You and I are not to the manner born, but by God's mercy, we are given a new birth into what truly and lastingly matters, a living hope. A living hope that is not wishful thinking, but a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and not from the manger, and not from sleep, but from the dead. A horrible death. As we know, Jesus had wounds on his hands and feet and side from the crucifixion, yet he lives. So the world you and I, as his followers, live in is a living hope. That's the world we are given to live in. It's the spiritual air we breathe. It's, the re, it's our compass. It's like a reframing of our human experience because of the spiritual dimension God gives us. First Peter said we are given this new birth into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection. That's true, and it is foundational. So let's go back to Resurrection Sunday for a minute. When women who went to the tomb, like last week's Mary Magdalene, were the first to declare the news that he was risen. And in that return to last week, allow me to quote a bit from something written by one of my theological heroes, the Reverend Jim Wallace, who co-founded Sojourners. In 2017, he wrote, For their loving perseverance and courage, these women are rewarded with the honor of being entrusted with the most important news in the history of the world. These women, and many women who have come after them, can rightly be called history's midwives of hope. And they become for us, on the resurrection morning of Easter, the primary example in that story of what we too are called to be, midwives of hope. What does it mean, he asks, to be a midwife of hope? The word hope is so often used in ways that are mostly mystical or rhetorical, politically or otherwise, or so religious that the meaning escapes the world. It somehow escapes the reality in which we have to live. Hope becomes a feeling, or a mood, or an inspired moment that is lived somehow above the painful and the dull agonies of history. 
We're down here living in it all. And someone says, well, you have to have hope. And right away we think, I'm supposed to feel something I'm not feeling. To get into a mood that isn't natural to me. I need to rise above this daily reality somehow and be hopeful. But the more I wrestle with this word hope, the more I am convinced that we must see hope in a different and indeed a more biblical way. End quote. Empathizing with this sentiment, the Lutheran pastor and author Nadia Boltz Weber wrote about 11 years ago, I've said it before, but whenever I am in a real mess of pain, when a relationship has ended, or I am in some kind of emotional suffering, and some well-meaning Christians say, well, when God closes a door, he opens a window. I start immediately looking around for that open window so I can push them out of it. (laughs) Which is to say, I don't find ignoring the difficult reality of our lives in favor of some kind of blindly cheerful optimism to be hopeful. I find it to be delusional. So yes, it feels like hope can be risky and connecting hope to suffering can be sketchy. But maybe the way suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope, thank you Romans, is that suffering, endurance, and character actually free us from the burden of having to be naively optimistic. Maybe if hope isn't a very reliable starting point, then hope is not something we strive to muster up for ourselves. And picking up there in partial agreement, Jim Wallace continued totally on his own, you see, hope is not simply a feeling or a mood or a rhetorical flourish. It is a choice, a decision, an action based upon faith. Hope is the very dynamic of history. Hope is the engine of change. Hope is the energy of transformation. Hope is the door from one reality into another. For Christians, the resurrection is that door of hope. And Jesus showed us that the resurrection comes by way of the cross. Suffering and hope, Wallace said, are always joined in human history. The cost of moving from one reality to another in our personal lives and in history is always great. But it is the only way to walk through the door of hope. Yes, Jesus did show us that resurrection comes by way of a cross and that suffering and hope are always joined in human history. I think then that Peter and you and I can talk about being born into a living hope is that Jesus was raised and raised from that crypt after the horrific death on Golgotha. Our living hope in our hard, hard times is based not only on the resurrection, but also that the one who was raised is the same one who was crucified, dead, and buried. St. Catherine of Siena The 14th century mystic experienced this in a personal manner as Christ revealed himself to be with her in her darkest days. She had gone through a terrible time of spiritual suffering in her soul. It was made all the worse by her fear that Jesus had abandoned her. And blessed are you if you have never experienced that fear. 
Finally, she cried out to him in prayer, Where were you when my heart was so tormented? To which she heard him reply, I was in your heart. Knowing, believing this, is a way to be born into and exist in a world Peter called a living hope. She and we are not alone in our suffering. The Christians Peter wrote to, as Barb said, were undergoing persecution. It is to these persecuted people whose suffering he acknowledged, he wrote that they were given this new birth into a living hope. Not birth into a dying world, not birth into a world of hatred and unforgiveness and distrust, but born into a living hope for living this life and into the next because the crucified one was raised. And that is our hope in our own extensions of pain and rising again. It is not naive optimism, but trust that our God through Jesus knows human suffering and through his resurrection transcended and redeemed it and can do so for us in that living hope. Allow me to quote Yale Divinity School professor Ebony Marshall Terman of the birth of Jesus. So you might hear me quote this again in Advent or something. Anyway, she said in a 2020 NPR interview, the most beautiful part of the story of Christmas is that God actually understands our human predicament. God was born between blood and feces, born of a woman in the poverty of a barn, This God would go on to be crucified and to die. God understands human pain. God understands human suffering and the experiences of grief. God knows what that is and is proximate to us in our realities of that. She continues, what this story also reveals is, as we think about Herod, who asserted himself as the king of the Jews, which is the reason why he wanted to kill all of those children, because the word was out that the Messiah had been born. What we can attest to, the story reveals that as we think about Herod, what we can attest to in our times is that evil is real. It is present in the world. Despite that, though, we have a God who comes in light and in hope in the middle of the darkness. And the Word of God tells us that the darkness does not overcome it. Christ the light defeated the darkness in the resurrection, penultimately, as we are still in the now and the not yet of the kingdom. A new birth into a living hope. A living hope that, because it is through the suffering and risen Christ, is a living hope that understands being beat on, hated on, laughed at, misunderstood, plotted against, and crucified, and yet does not stay dead as expected. Our hope is a hope which is real in our own suffering and loneliness, in our struggles against oppression and poverty, so-called Christian nationalism, which is an oxymoron. And when we face our own death, it's a living hope then. It is a living hope that is not naive, nor does it have to have all of the answers, because if it did, that's not hope, that's outright knowledge. It is a hope, a living hope, that puts our faith, our hands, in the loving, mighty hands of God.
It struck me as I was preparing this sermon that Ukrainian soldiers, they're fighting to win. And they have a living hope of doing that. Otherwise, why keep fighting? We echo, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because we're born into a living hope. We try to reduce school shootings and public access to weapons of war out of our living hope. We share our beliefs because of our living hope. Our paradigm, the spiritual air that we breathe, that we've been given a new birth into. Our living hope through Christ leads us to keep doing right as individuals being compassionate, generous, and lovingly serving others. It leads us to do right on a larger scale when possible, which we know can also bring suffering. Hope is where people of the crucified and risen Lord Jesus live. It's our home, our way of being, even if we do not feel it, because it is a gift from God who is the source of all our hope within and among us. And that's good news. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to the Redheaded Preacher podcast. You have so many podcasts from which to choose, and Laura Olson and I want to let you know we appreciate you are choosing to listen to this one wherever you are. And we're just grateful, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. Next week will be uh, Sunday, April 23rd, and looking ahead anyway, the gospel should be out of Luke 24, the famous story of the walk to Emmaus, and uh, perhaps also something else from First Peter. Uh, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it in the sermon writing study of the Red-Headed Preacher. But for now, again, our thanks, our wishes for you of God's blessings, that God will grant you and your loved ones what they need, and that God will bless you and your week in living hope. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to the Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.